Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for the Say Hey Podcast, your San Francisco Giants podcast for the real ones. Available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are released weekly. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at Say Hey Podcast and like our page on Facebook. episode 51 of the say hey podcast this is doug hayes aka say hey doug it is september 9th 2021 i am joined by around the foghorn contributor mark deluki you can give him a follow on twitter at mad deluki that's m-a-d-d-e-l-u-c-c-h-i mark welcome back to the podcast how's it going i'm glad to be back you know i i dropped my uh prospect rankings on september 1st and Thankfully, that means I don't have to write 15,000 words in one article for at least six months. So that's honestly the, the, that this is, this is the, uh, now we got giants playoffs and stuff to write about. And don't get me wrong. I'm excited to write about, I'm excited to follow all that. We'll get to the off season when I get to make up trades and free agent signings that I'd like to see happen. But I'm just glad to have that work behind me for 2021. I bet you are, because this is a lot of work. And so, I mean, moving forward, is this like what you're going to do? You're going to do like two different rankings every year? Yeah, that's, I think, I think my plan would be, and, you know, obviously, you know, around the Foghorn is kind of a, a part-time thing. So depending on if I end up landing a, a full-time gig elsewhere, that'll probably change how it looks, depending on, you know, where sort of my next steps are, if I get to take those. But, um, you know, it, as long as I'm at ATF, I think the plan is sort of do a mid-season update. I think, you know, we'll see, um you know, this year, I think my midseason update is more detailed than my preseason rankings. But I think that's in large part because we were coming off no minor league season. And so Absolutely. like a lot of my preseason rankings and to be fair, I did a lot of other ancillary stuff. I did sort of, you know, trends on the system and a bunch of other articles for that prospect week. I did preseason. So it was kind of more split up where this is like, I'm not doing prospect week. The Giants got a playoff hunt. I'm just going to drop the full rankings and we're going to put um, all that in there. So, yeah, no, I definitely think sort of the preseason and you know i like to hold off on the preseason rankings until we get even a week or two into spring training it, like i like to cheat a bit so i can kind of you know peek at other people's papers if you will you know let every people do their updates see where people are at um just to and, and it also i think is useful for me too because obviously you know i talk to some evaluators whether it's pro scouts or, or people around the game and you know you you try to ask questions and and you obviously you know as a journalist there's a certain relationship you have of you know information sharing but also you know you're also obviously like their job isn't to talk to you so you know you're kind of cautious with their time and you and you want to not overuse that and so sometimes you won't ask about a uh bigger name prospect right like like i didn't i asked like one or two people out marco luciano right like i know what i know about marco luciano from years past like i didn't you know like i don't feel a need to necessarily go back and like double check like are you sure yeah. about this or that 
where, you know, like someone, uh, you know, we, we, we might get to him later, but like Diego Rincones is someone who, you know, sneak preview. He's actually one of the Giants top 10 prospects in, in my system. And, um, you know, as sort of other rankings and updates came out, he wasn't like there. He was, you know, a couple of rankings him in the 20s. I think one or two didn't even rank him at all. And so he was one. It's like, OK, I know I am in a different place than other people. And so I want to make sure I'm going to go back to people, um, talk to them, get their feedback to make sure I can articulate. Right. Like, I think two of the guys I'm way more and we're already on, on the <laughs> off the rails here. But, <laughs> You're good. Um, uh, but, you know, like two guys I'm way higher on, I think, are Rincones and Sammy Long, who we've seen kind of up and down this year. And because I sort of because I wait a bit, it, it, it gives me the ability to say, OK, Roger Munter, who, again, this, this isn't a knock at Roger, by the way. We disagree on prospects and he's right on some. I'm right on some. And, you know, we each have um, detailed process. But like uh, Roger Munter, my colleague at Around the Foghorn, Renzi Regadon, um, you know, they both didn't have long in their top 30. And I think long was if he wasn't in my top 10, he was in my top 11 or 12. He's at number nine in yours. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he, yep. was, he was definitely <laughs> near that edge. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to spend a little extra time on long, a little extra time on Rincones, both talking to people and also explaining why I disagree with, you know, because in some cases, like with long, I didn't just disagree with, you know, Munter and Renzi. I also disagreed with people I was talking to in the industry who yep. they were sort of more in line with those rankings. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be more, um, explicit about this is why I think Sammy Long is being underrated or, or by certain evaluators. Um, because, you know, I have Marco Luciano one, Luis Matos two. Preseason, Luis Matos at two was kind of out there. At this point, it's kind of consensus. Like at this point, you read most rankings, Matos is two. I'll pat myself on the bat for that. But also, <laughs> that means that, like, I had to, I had to, ex I felt like I had to explain myself more about Matos at two in the preseason than I do now, because at this point, that's sort of more of a consensus view, if you will. Yeah, and Matos has been uh, really good this year um, in San Jose. Be before I want to get into our questions, I want to ask you yeah. this one kind of silly question. Let's go. Why go in the heck do you have, why is it 31? Why do you do a top 31? <laughs> you know, I think it comes from, you know, I grew up on the Baseball American Prospect Handbook, and they do the top 30. And one thing, but eventually, like, my dad would, like, he, we never like subscribed to BA's magazine, but you, if you pre-ordered the, the prospect handbook, you would get a little booklet attached okay. to it if you pre-ordered. And it was the 31st prospect for every team. Uh -huh. So there was one report for every team for like the 31st guy, the guy who just missed the list. And so I think honestly, that is just it, it implanted that in the back of my mind. We do, we're going to do top 31. Um, down the line, I do want to move towards more of uh, Eric Longenhagen uh, does it fan graphs where he doesn't have a set amount of prospects he ranks for each system. It's just if they're a certain grade. I think for him, it's a 40 uh, future value grade. And um, for me, I think going forward, I want to do sort of full reports on all those guys, however many or few there are in, in the giant system, just to be able to show fans this is also an example of the depth or lack thereof in the system at a very true point. the more so, the more names you see you know they exactly. have more guys that are have higher future exactly. value so and, and that's why i did do a sort of more in-depth honorable mention because i had 41 or 42 yeah. guys who had that 40 future value grade and so i think what's going to happen is again if i'm still at, at around foghorn doing this next spring next spring i will have the full reports on everyone who's a 40 future value grade in the system and then mid-season will sort of be just a reordering 
of that with a bit less detail. So I think that's sort of how I plan to move towards it. But yeah, 31, that was just like, let's just spice it up a bit. Let's, that's my little twist on it. I just thought maybe you were a big fan of Baskin Robbins or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but hey, that makes a lot of sense. And now I know why. Um, yeah. Obviously, we don't have Rob tonight, but Rob did have some questions for you. So I'm yeah. going to uh, include those as well. So um, let's let's get into them. So uh, before our actual official questions, I had some like off the cuff. I wanted to, to get your pick your brain on two guys. Um, your number 31 prospect is Armani Smith, um, and he started off the season in San Jose. He's moved up to high A Eugene. Um, he's an outfielder. He's shown he has uh, some power potential, but he does have a high strikeout rate. Um, tell me tell me your thoughts on uh, Armani Smith. Yeah, you know, it's funny with uh, someone like Armani, who in the Giants, he was the seventh round pick, seventh round pick out of UCSB, University of California, Santa Barbara back in 2019. Um, the year Bishop, Hunter Bishop was, was the first round pick. And I remember writing at the time of the draft that, one, I really liked the Smith pick, just given value where they got him. I liked him as a prospect. But Smith, in many ways, was a scaled down Bishop-like profile. Like both Bishop and Smith were players who'd been prospects in high school, came with decent pedigrees where, you know, UCSB isn't technically a power five school, but in college baseball, the big West with UCSB, Cal State, Fullerton, Long Beach State, sure. you know, shout out to University of Hawaii. You know, that, that, like that is ostensibly a, a power five, pro, power five conference and level of competition. And, and so Smith and Bishop, both highly recruited guys, who had big time power potential were above average athletes, but it just kind of struggled to play in games. And of course, Bishop was the big one who obviously made these adjustments. Um, I think it was at the Cape Cod league and comes in his junior season. It's like 22 homers ends up, a, you know, a top 10 pick, but Smith to a, again, a very scaled down scale compared to Bishop, but similarly struggled his first two years at UCSB made some swing adjustments. I think actually working with um, Stu Peterson, Jock Peterson's father at, 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 uh, in summer league, and uh, came in as junior, I think at 13, 14 homers at 350 with like a 600 slugging or 500 slugging one, you know, a big number yeah. and, and ends up getting a seventh round pick. And um, so, I, you know, I was high on him. He was also, I think, uh, you know, him and Bishop were both young for their class. And so fast forward to now, um, you know, I think Smith, again, there's, he's not quite the athlete that Bishop is. And again, obviously Bishop had his injury issues and, and you know, that's a different conversation. But like Smith, I don't think anyone has any dreams. He'll never like play center field. Like he's probably someone who can play right field for now, might be able to stick in right, probably has to move to left if his body sort of matures and, and develops a certain way. Sure. But, you know, it, it is all is going to come down to that hit tool. Like how consistently can he tap into the, the power potential that he has? And I think, again, if you if you squint and again, you're talking about, you know, when you get to this point in the prospect list, you know, He's, you know, about average age for high A. This is by no means a shoe in, but he could be a guy who's an everyday player. I do point out in, in the write up, though, he's actually really torn up left handed pitching throughout his career. The, his platoon splits are pretty severe. And while that might ultimately limit his upside, that gives me a bit more confidence that he'll be able to find a, a big league home as a platoon bat, as, as a guy who can, you know, a corner outfielder who can play against left handed pitching and just mash. So, um, you know, I, I really like Armani and I wanted to make sure to sneak him kind of in, in that back half and ended up working out that way. Well, I think he's in the uh, right organization, uh, you know, that values yeah. uh, platoon splits so that he could be here uh, in the long term then. So uh, another outfielder I wanted to get uh, some thoughts on your number 27 uh, ranked prospect is Maya Munguia. 
and I we talked a little bit before uh, we started. We're not 100% sure how you say it, but we're going to go with that. We're going to go Ismael Munguia. Um, this guy can steal bags. Uh, he hits for extra base hits, and he doesn't strike out a ton. Um, does he have he a strike out at all? I yeah, mean, yeah. Is, yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's 24 strikeouts in over 330 plate appearances. That's I, I, solid. I mean, it, it's it's very, I mean, I think it's like very Maddie Yalu. It's very like tales from, from a previous era. Um, and, and he's going to be one that, um, you know, obviously it's not the Giants' concern right now, but when we get to the offseason, they're going to have a lot of interesting decisions with the Rule 5 draft. And, you know, who they protect on the 40-man roster. You know, this is a deep system now. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of guys who might not get protected, who I think other teams are going to target. Munguia at high A is probably, you know, he's one of the sort of the lesser likely picks. But he puts the ball in play, is an above-average defender at all three outfield positions, gets real um, positive reports on sort of his makeup, on, on how he handles himself, just a, a high baseball IQ. He's one of those guys you just watch play, and you're like, this guy – um, you know, it's just sort of, you know, you, you see like, a, 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 you know, some guys you see sort of the love of the game come through and, and that comes through in both like the energy, but also like, the, you know, the genius you'll see them put together when they, when, you know, Javi Baez is kind of the extreme example of this, but, you know, like sort of in, in the realm of someone who, um, you know, you watch play does the little things well, um, but also can do some really exciting things. Munguia's frame, it, you know, it's not, um, you know, he's not the biggest guy. I think he didn't for extra base hit this year being still in the giant system. I'm going to be very curious to see how that power plays going forward because, you know, I do think sometimes, especially, you know, with the scouting background, we can get too caught up in, you know, this is the famous money ball, Billy bean line, right? Like you're not selling jeans. Like you can get caught up in <laughs> the, the, the body type and saying, this guy's probably not going to be strong enough to hit for enough power to be an impact. But, you know, we've seen before, whether it's, you know, Jose Altuve was sort of the, the first one in, in the modern era. You could argue to a certain extent Nick Madrigal was one um, where, you know, although we haven't seen Madrigal quite, you know, tap into the power and we'll see when he comes back from the injury. Yeah. But, um, you know, Mungui is someone I do wonder if we're underrating that offensive upside just because, you know, scouts look at him and go, he's probably not going to hit for power. When, you know, it's very clear at the moment, he, he's already, you know, like you mentioned, above average plus base runner, above average plus defender across the outfield, above average plus hit tool. You know, if that if he has league average power, that, that, that could be a really fun piece. Um, and, and just to finish up, um, yeah, like you said, great on a base pass. Two years ago, he had 13 stolen bags um, in low A. This year in high A with Eugene in 2021, he has 15 stolen bags in 76 games. Though downfall, I'm, I'm just looking at his numbers. Um. You know, two years ago, 5.6 walk percent, 3.9 this year. Is that a concern yeah. or something that's going to develop and we shouldn't worry about yet? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it, it always comes with, you know, um, another extreme example of the lack of walks is, is Sandro Fabian at Double A, who that's kind of been his thing for a while, something you noted. And I think it is something that's limited sort of his projection. But again, with a guy like Munguia, it's a bit easier to believe that he can overcome that even if his walk rate doesn't improve. I mean, obviously, look, we've seen plenty of guys, you know, improve, you know, their eye and improve their ability to work counts. Um, and I think Munguia is definitely someone who, who could do that. And if he does, it'll obviously make his, I think, life a lot easier and make him a more productive potential player. But, you know, as low as his walk rate is, his strikeout to walk rate is still above average, right? Because he's putting the ball in place yeah. so much. And, and so, you know, like with Sandro Fabian, to, to again go on a, another tangent here like the problem with Fa Fabian is 
uh, Fabian, is that you know his hit tool, if he's a 250 hitter, it's hard to envision his on-base percentage being above 280, 290, just by the nature of how little he walks. Munguia, it is very easy to envision a guy who hits 280 to 310 just based on his ability to spray the ball to all fields and put the ball in play. So if he doesn't walk, like, yes, that limits his upside. But, you know, if he's hitting 290, 320 with his batting average on base percentage, that's palatable if he's putting the ball in play and contributing in other ways. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, sticking with Eugene, I, 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 the way I ordered these, I, I wasn't yeah. unintentional. <laughs> with hey. Eugene. Um, Rob and I have shared a mutual interest in Ryan Murphy, your number 11th now ranked prospect. Uh, since we saw him throw in Stockton at the beginning of the season, talk about his dominance at both San Jose and Eugene, and if he is indeed a real option for the Giants down the road. Yeah, you know, Murphy was um, sort of another one of those players who, you know, I am someone who, if you you followed me for a while, you know, especially my draft coverage, I'm always like all over, you know, Roger Munch is always all over the high school shortstops. I'm all over the high school pitcher who hits 98 miles an hour or throws hard. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I'm a big, you know, get velocity, get high octane stuff and figure it out kind of, um, I guess that's sort of the, the place I come from because, I think you can find it's easier to find command later. And, you know, Murphy's kind of an example. The Giants draft him in the fifth round. Um, Caleb Killian, who they obviously traded the Chris Bryant trade was an example of that in the eighth round in 2019. But they're always to me a lot harder to evaluate, right? Because like, you know, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I think most scouts and most people you talk to will always feel like, it's always a lot easier for me to see a player with command reaching the big leagues than a player without command and good stuff. If, if, if that scenario is flipped, but it's also a lot harder for me to really get invested in someone who is performing well at the low levels. If that stuff doesn't jump off the page to me. And so I went back and forth forth on Murphy for a while. I mean, he was someone who early on in the season, even after his hot start at San Jose, really was, wasn't on pushing the top 20. He was sort of in, in that 20 to 30 range and, and even off the list at points. Um, but he just got better and better as the season went on. And, and what sort of really solidified him in that top 15 range um, was – when he, he gets promoted to Eugene and he basically picks up where he left off. And as I got closer to the rankings, I started sort of doing the way I like to approach it. You know, I, I do have a statistical background alongside the scouting and I try to sort of go back and forth between that. And so I kind of go through these phases where, all right, you know, let's look at some numbers and see if I'm missing anyone. That's sort of, you know, how like a Diego Rincon is. I'm like, you know what I, I'm, I, you know, and he sort of gets moved up. I talk about him or, you know, um, Murphy, I looked at, you know, he's le- he was leading the minor leagues in strikeouts. He missed his last start. He's been dealing with some back spasms issues. So um, I don't think he still leads the minor leagues in strikeouts, but he was pretty much for most of the season. And when I looked at his strikeout rate, not only was he one of just like five players who have done that in recent minor league history, he was the only one with a strikeout rate as high as he did with a walk rate as low as he did. His was. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I said, you know what, this isn't just someone with advanced command, you know, doing well against probably lesser developed competition. This is someone absolutely dominating. And, you know, 
even though he's a college prospect and someone like Perlander Baroa, who I'm big on too, he's a few spots. He's right in that same range with Murphy, his teammate at San Jose for most of the season, has better stuff. And Barrow was he was moving towards the top 10, especially during this hot stretch in the middle of the summer before kind of fading recently and moving a bit down the list. You know, Murphy's not significantly older than Baroa. It's in the it's in the latter. It's in the um, area of months, not years. And so that gap being so small, I go, you know, I like Baroa's stuff, but Baroa's command is obviously far less advanced. And Murphy is not doing this as a 24-year-old at low A. This is someone who's actually, again, you could argue he should have started at high or whatever, but it's not like he was, you know, well older than his competition. And so, you know, I don't know the answer to what I think Murphy will be as a big league pitcher. What I know is that he is pitching in such a way where it seemed unfair to lower him below some other prospects who, when you get to that 10 to 20 range, all of those players could be impact or very good everyday big league players in that range for the Giants. But all of them have some flaw, right? Whether it's Baroa and you're looking at his command, whether it's Hunter Bishop, you're looking at his injury history, Will Wilson, his struggles at double A earlier on and, and, you know, some inconsistent strikeout issues throughout his career. And so, you know, with Murphy, that's kind of a level of, I'm not, like, sometimes you have to look at a player and go, you know, he's locating all his pitch-ups, his fastball seems to clearly play above its velocity, his changeup is developed, has developed well, and his slider um, has taken some significant steps. Um, People in the organization I talked to were really high on him, Um, and, and so it ultimately came to, okay, if this like sometimes you, you know, sometimes you can look at a player and say, I see exactly the model you are going to take to be a big league contributor. Kind of like I talked about with Armani Smith, where I can see him being like a mashing, a lefty mashing corner outfielder. You know, I'm not sure what that looks like with Murphy. And if, again, he's someone who is in that realm where he doesn't really have an opportunity to stall too much and remain a relatively well-regarded prospect. Like if he goes to, whether he starts at high A or double A next year, and if he just gets hit, you know, Matt Frisbee is a perfect example that started off dominant this year at double A, gets promoted to triple A, and just gets hammered, gets Shmammer. rocked. Yeah. Frisbee, yeah. right. Frisbee's still an intriguing arm, but, you know, it is kind of for pitchers like Murphy where we, until we see it at the big league, scouts are always going to have that, but we don't know if that'll play. And, there is the level of some guys it does play the whole way through, even if the stuff doesn't look great, some guys it doesn't. And so Murphy, someone who's just, he was so dominant, I'm willing to bet on it, but that doesn't mean I necessarily have a clear vision of how that progresses. All right. Um, this is Rob's question. He, he says for hopefully the final time I'm going to ask this, but what does the future hold for Tyler Beatty? I know he's been around forever. No, nobody. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I was high on, look, I was high on BD hitting into last season. I thought he made some really good adjustments. I thought, um, Kapler's, I think if he doesn't, you know, I think there's an alternate universe where he's in the giants rotation right now. If he doesn't get Tommy John surgery, um, you know, I mean, again, like that, that's the difficult thing about pitchers too. And, and, you know, whether it's Murphy or, or Sammy long or anyone or Kyle Harrison for that matter, you know, he, it's hard to to be a really effective pitcher, professional pitcher, and the risk of injury, if you miss a year, like that's not a year you're getting to keep reps up on the side. Like that's, you know, basically, you know, months of you not being able to pitch at all, then you have to refine those habits, refine your stuff and refine that. So I don't know what the future holds for BD. I mean, I'd say this is that I don't see 
him remaining on the 40 man roster deep into the off season. I think he's going to be someone I'd be surprised if he isn't designated for assignment um, and, and goes through waivers. Another team could claim him. Another team could not. And the giants could, you know, option in the triple a, maybe he stays in the organization. I'm not sure on what that looks like. He could be, you know, end up in that kind of Ashton Godot claimed on waivers, DFA claimed on waivers, DFA cycle. That's really, you know, tough on tough on players. Oh yeah. Um, I could see him getting caught up in that. Um, but it, it, it's hard to tell, right? Like, you know, the Giants, the injury has, hasn't, has meant Zaidi hasn't been forced to make a decision on him because he's been able to stuff him, stack him on the 60-day IL and comes back, has another injury while he's rehabbing. They put him back on the 60-day IL. So he's not even taking up a 40-man roster spot right now. And, True. and so, you know, you don't, it's hard to know what the internal evaluations are of him. And again, because he's kind of, you know, past that at prospect stage, it's really kind of, beyond a purview where you get a lot of access or information from people within the organization. Um, you know, it, it's hard to know. I mean, I mean, again, BD is still someone who all purports say he can still throw relatively hard. He still has a relatively strong breaking ball at his best. Like, you know, if, if you told me in two years, he's popped up somewhere in a rotation and he looks like the Tyler B Giants fans hope for, whether it's in San Francisco or elsewhere, I wouldn't be surprised, shocked by it, but yeah, you know, there's also enough track record where I. So Mark, Seth Corey has had a difficult year, especially with command. Kyle Harrison has been fairly good the last few weeks. Uh, but where does Perlander Baroa stand right now? He's number 12 in your rankings. Um, is he possibly a top three or four arm in the system right now? I think so. I mean, I, I think, I mean, that's where he, he slots into my rankings and, you know, again, had I not waited till September 1st, I think Baroa probably is in the top 10. Like if, if these rankings come out August 1st, when he's coming off that 10 start stretch he had for pretty much all of June and July, where he, he, he was, you know, at that point in time, Harrison had, had been erratic with command. It, it hadn't been coming together great. You know, Murphy was still at low A, so we hadn't seen him against, um, you know, better competition at high A. And, you know, Bar- I mean, Baroa was having the, the, the best stretch of play, arguably, of any arm in the system at that point. So, yeah, you know, I mean, he is of the arms we're talking about, probably outside of Harrison. He's the easiest one to see at the very least, right? Like falling back into a high leverage relief role and being effective. Um, you know, I, I think that's always I mean, I think for many years, you know, as, as far back as I can remember when the Giants acquired him from Minnesota, he, he was viewed as someone who'd move to the bullpen and probably end up a, a strong middle relief, maybe high leverage arm. Um, and this year he's done more than we expected, right? Like this year he's proven, no, this is a, he has three pitches. Like if he can command this, there's a mid rotation arm here. Um, you know, obviously if the command takes some huge steps forward, maybe higher, but you know, like th- there's some um, really good potential here. Um, obviously it's stalled more recently. And again, the command I think is going to come and go. Um, but you know, in, in sort of, you know, every prospect there's going to be bumps in the road and there's going to be adjustments they have to make, right? Like with Murphy, the question is, you know, does the stuff reach a point where his command isn't good enough to play against a certain level of competition for Baroa, much like it is with Seth Corey, much like it is with Kyle Harrison, where will the command be? And will they find enough command for their stuff to play as, as they move up Corey, obviously that hasn't been the case at high A his command went, went too far in, in the other direction. And, um, but you know, if, if Baroa takes the necessary steps, he could easily, he could easily be a top five or six prospect in the system next year. Like if he goes to high a and, and really pitches well. 
Where do you envision uh, Patrick Bailey start next year? You're, I think he's, uh, is he he's very low. He, he's he's yeah. in, he's yeah. I'm, I'm, I think of, you know, even though I was later, I, I think that actually made Bailey move down. You know, obviously he's had this hot streak. He was kind of early. He was starting to heat up at San Jose when my rankings came out, but he's obviously done quite well over the last week and a half or so. Yeah. Um, but I still think I'm the low man on Bailey. I've been low on the uh, the Giants catching prospects. It seems like that's where uh, the the first round picks Bailey in part I've been relatively low on um, compared to others. I mean, a lot of it for Bailey, and, and I realize in my head sometimes with rankings because obviously they're incredibly subjective things. There are you know there's internal debates you have right, and, and one of the things for me is. I try to sort of, there's certain points where it's like, if I have two prospects who are relatively similar in age, relatively similar in level, you know, I kind of treat it as almost like, all right, let's just have a debate in my head and make the case for both of these players. And so with Bailey, you actually have a very, in my opinion, valuable comp comparison in Ricardo Hanaves, who's roughly the same age. You yeah. know, international free agent signing, so not with the college pedigree, but obviously has much more professional experience. I've always been high on Henneves. Henneves, I feel like, fell in that Armani Smith realm of like, I really like this guy. And, you know, uh, I, but he didn't necessarily move up in rankings just because even though, like, I liked them and thought they could do, they hadn't shown enough. And so, you know, Henneves and Bailey were both, I think, ready to, like, I think should have started the year in a perfect world, would have both started at high A, but obviously the Giants sure. have one high A team. Sure. And Bailey starts and is undeniably bad. Like, you know, his OPS was 500. He couldn't slug 300. He hit 190. Um, and Henneves tore up San Jose low A, goes up to high A. His high A performance has not been great, but it's been significantly better than Bailey's stretch yeah. was. Um, and Bailey, when he first San Jose, was struggling for about a month. I mean, Bailey's numbers at San Jose were not very impressive for a significant portion of his time there. Now, obviously, he started tearing to cover off the ball. And so for me, it was the case of sort much like when I was comparing Murphy and Barroa and I was saying the way Murphy's pitching, there's not enough age gap here. I don't think I can put Barroa ahead of Murphy, given what I'm seeing Murphy do right now. I, I, I said, I, I'm not putting Bailey ahead of Henneves. And when Henneves got off to a relatively hot start at Eugene, you know, he was in the teens. He was, he was moving up in the rankings. And that meant Bailey might've fallen in a few spots behind in the top 20, but as Henneves moved down, and Bailey didn't do enough for me to close the gap. I mean, you look, Bailey's numbers at low A are good. They're not that much better than what Henneves' numbers were at low A to start the season, though. Yeah. And Bailey's playing against arguably worse competition because at this point, low A teams, right, the best low A prospects to start the year have been promoted to high A. So most of those low A teams are guys who started the year in Scottsdale or Arizona or Florida who are getting kicked up from rookie ball or recent draft picks. So I'd argue, even though Henneves and Bailey have both been at low A for a portion of the season, I think Henneves' performance at low A is more impressive than what we saw at Bailey, just based on the circumstances. You know, these are guys who've played their full first season. We talked about Luis Matos earlier. He's one who we're seeing kind of fade towards the end of his first full year. And Bailey's someone who I'd argue stamina should be in his favor because he spent last year at the alternate site after the college season. Then he goes to instructs in the fall. Then he goes to big league camp. Then he goes to minor camp. Now, there's a, a counter argument to maybe he's been worn down by that. Maybe I, I'm discounting that a bit much. But so, so that was sort of my place with Bailey where, you know, I, I still think, again, if it all comes together, he has the ceiling to hit, you know, in that like 12 to 18 home runs a year range, hit 260, 270, 280 with 
really high walk rates and, and be a really you know, above average catcher that maybe a couple of years gets some body, you know, a couple all-star teams in there if it all comes together. But, you know, I, look, you throw me a prospect, I can tell you a way it, it comes together. And that's not a knock on him. That's just to say, I, I, I couldn't put him ahead of Henneves. And I, I, you know, I think Henneves is probably a future backup that is a potentially a, a, a league average starter. And sure. Bailey might have a, I think Bailey probably has a higher ceiling than Henneves, but Bailey's also shown a much lower floor. Like I think there, I am, you know, the way he hit at high A this year made me question whether Bailey, you know, it's not like, oh, he's a shoe in to be a backup catcher. Like he's going to have to make some significant offensive adjustments and take some significant developmental steps for me to get there. And so that's where he ends up, you know, towards the back of the top 30 after being a top 10 name to enter the season. That is a great point, though, that you make about, <clears throat> sorry, time of year competition. Um, yeah. You know, Genevieve was seeing really good uh, competition in low A at the beginning of the year before he got pulled up. And now Bailey's in that same position, but, you know, different competition this time of year. So right. kind of take his recent success with a grain of salt. Is right. Well, saying. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, like, think about the Giants minor league affiliates, right? Think about who started the year at low A. Who are the stars of that team? Marco Luciano was there. Mm-hmm. He's now at high A. Henneves is there. He's now at high A. Who are the players at low A now? There's Grant McRae, who was a third-round pick. Like I did, he probably would have started at low A anyway, given the given the injury. Oh, Jairo Pomara is another name Morris. who started the year yeah. at low A after injury. He's now at high A. So who are who are the names at low A? There's there's players like Patrick Bailey who struggled at high A and weren't good. There's players like Hunter Bishop before he went back on the aisle when he because he was dealing with injury. And there's players like Najee Gaskins who were at rookie ball in Arizona to start the year and have gotten kicked up with promotions. Um, yeah. So, you know, even pitching, right. Ryan Murphy gets promoted from low A to high A. And so um, I, I think that's, uh, you know, keep on. And again, I don't want to knock what Bailey's doing in, in low A. Again, I mentioned he's been arguably ha- had more work than most minor league players, especially catchers given alternate site and instructs and big league camp and all that stuff. And I think there is an element where that could have had some wear and tear, but just, you know, the, the people I talked to and whatnot, and again, for what it's worth, industry evaluators, people I talked to, they weren't as like red flagged out by Bailey as I was. Um, he was one where it seemed like a lot of evaluators were, you know, sort of slower on the draw to, to knock him down a couple grades or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, part of it is I'm, you know, most scouts with a few exceptions, like they're following a lot of different teams and a lot of different organizations. Right. And, um, and because of sort of the nature of he started high A, got moved to Arizona, you know, I, I also bet on my own familiarity, extreme familiarity with the Giants that says, you know, I think I probably have the advantage where I should be ahead of the curve on some breakouts like I was with Matos. And I, I might be able to be a bit ahead of the curve on guys who I think are struggling in the case of Bailey. Um, and again, you know, he's, he's playing well at high A. Where he starts next year, I think that's going to ultimately come down to what sort of his offseason looks like. Um, you know, he obviously has gotten plenty of at-bats, so it's not a Hunter yeah. Bishop situation where you go, does he go to the Arizona Fall League? Like, I wouldn't expect that for Bailey. Um, although, you know, you, you never know. Maybe that maybe he's made some adjustment they want to make sure gets instilled and they try to find him some winter league play. You know, does he get invited back to big league camp next year? Assuming he does, how does he perform there? Um, I, I, so, you know, I think 
odds are the way the Giants have handled things, I don't see why he doesn't start next year at high A. But you do have the sort of Henneve's conundrum once again next season where it wouldn't shock me if Bailey has a good camp next year and Henneve's is solid, but right, Henneve's hasn't, you know, he's playing okay at high A, probably a bit below average. If that we see the same thing that happened this year happen again next year, where Bailey now jumps Henneve's again and starts at double A and Henneve's is back at high A. Um, if Bailey really yeah. impresses in spring training. Now, again, the opposite could be true too, that because they, that they give Henneve's the challenge at double A and we might see him struggle there because they don't want to push Bailey and they think Bailey has more upside. You could see um, things happening there, but you know, I think it, it's going to be high A or double A at this point. Um, and, and I think it's going to come down to, you know, how he looks, how he, how his off season, what adjustments he, he makes and how he comes into camp. The Say Hey podcast is sponsored by Manteca Bedquarters. Whether you're located in the Bay Area or the Central Valley, head out to Manteca and visit Manteca Bedquarters for great rates on mattresses from Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, and other top brands. Manteca Bedquarters also has bedroom furniture and bedding accessories. Located on the corner of Main and Yosemite in Manteca, visit MantecaBedquarters.com for more details. Great points. Um, kind of moving into the uh, the infield here. San Francisco lacks second base depth within the farm mm-hmm. system. Who who has a real shot of becoming a future second baseman with the big club? And if there is none, uh, is this something they need to address in the near future, uh, or something Farhan can figure out via free agency or trade? I know, I know they've had uh, you know some experimenting down in the minors with like Will Wilson, but like mm-hmm. who else besides that is there a real option? I'll say this. I mean, this isn't in my prospects guide because he's not a prospect, but I'm in the Tyro Estrada camp. I mean, I, I do believe okay. in, in what we've seen from Estrada this year. You know, I love is, Estrada too. Yeah. You know, Tommy Lestella obviously hasn't been great this season, but he's on a three year deal. You know, I think you walk, I, I don't think it's out of the question, even if Chris Bryant isn't resigned, that you walk into next season with Lestella and Estrada and some level of, you know, with Estrada, Estrada maybe being the primary guy and Lestella is sort of an optional platoon backup kind platoon. of situation. Um, and you know, maybe they, they add a, you know, promise you now that Lamont Wade's been this good, you can't say like a Lamont Wade, like peace, you know, too crazy. <laughs> no way they like, do it again. Like a, <laughs> right. But you see like a minor move for someone who's maybe a, a, a fringe big league guy on the infield, uh, um, to compete there. I mean, again, like I think, um, Will Wilson's the obvious one, you know, I, it seems, uh, he's one who you, you, you see pretty big differences from sort of the people who saw him on the amateur side were you know obviously once a player gets drafted they, they see a different set of scouts right that's one of the things about amateur and pro scouting for most teams being split up and, and what that means is you, you'll have guys who you know if i'm a california league scout or if i'm a uh you know i guess i'll just use another giants affiliate eastern league scout right i see the, the eastern league i see double a or sorry double a northeast now <laughs> And, and right. so what no, that I'm means kidding. is I might read about guys. I might have some familiarity, my you know, organizational reports. I can check on guys, but ultimately I'm not going to see a guy that closely or for that consistently until they get to the double a Northeast league. And on the flip side, if I'm an amateur scout, I'm going to see a lot of a guy at 
in college, a lot of maybe even rookie ball or whatever. But then from there, I'm probably going to see them sporadically if at big, at, you know, spring training and, you know, a couple of affiliate games I get to. And so Wilson's one way, the amateur style pe- side, people are like, you know, this is uh, somewhere between like Jed Jerko and Ian Kinsler light, like, you know, like sort of a, a, a power first offensive second baseman with, you know, 15 to 20 homers, 270 kind of situation, you yeah. know? And, and you talk to people on the pro side and, and more people there see fringe every day, below average defender at short, who's probably a platoon bat utility infielder. Um, and so I think how Wilson turns out is going to um, be pretty huge. Obviously he's lower in my rankings and, and he got promoted to double A after a solid, but you know, I wouldn't put his high. I wouldn't say his high A performance was exceptional. It was above average. He played well there, but he kind of had a cold streak. Got promoted to double A amidst that cold streak, and it really exasperated his issues. He was striking out about forty percent of his plate appearances. He's really picked it up. Kind of a similar, obviously different levels, but similarly to Bailey recently, despite Richmond having some pretty long layoff with Binghamton having some COVID issues and that kind of screwing up their schedule. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know, Wilson's the obvious one. Otherwise, again, this system doesn't have a lot of prospects that close to the majors. Like, I, I do want to emphasize that, like, you know, this giant system is the best system in the National League West. It's the best giant system has probably been in a decade. But the number of players who are expected to make an impact in 2022 is fairly small. The number of players I'd expect to make a significant impact in 2023 is relatively small. Um, when you think, when you compare it to sort of other systems, you think, as top end, like, um, and so that is sort of the giants are in this weird position where I think there's the dream, right? Oh, the giants are good because Crawford and Posey and all the, and Brian, and then these guys are going to be there. And then Luciano comes up and the Matos, come, and that may be true, but Luciano Matos and those guys might not be there till 2024. Yeah, the these guys are still 19, 20 years old. Right. And again, that's why they're so exciting and tantalizing, but that's yeah. also why, it, the Giants are in a weird kind of precarious is the wrong word. It's a good position to be in, but it's not as simple as, you know, it's like after Elliot Ramos, there is no one in this system that I look at and say, oh, this player, I, I would be surprised if they're not making a significant impact next year. I mean, Sean Jelly's yeah. probably the closest, and even he's has his struggles at AAA. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be ready to be an, an impact uh, big league pitcher in, in 2022. Um, frankly, if you made me pick a second player ready to make a big league impact next season in the system, it's Diego Rincones. Um, just Ooh. because, I, just because I think the bat will play, and just because it, it's uh, been so consistent. But so you know, the infield doesn't have the same depth. You know, Tyler Fitzgerald's another guy you could point to, shortstop doing well at high A this year. He could easily be, you know, he's someone who looks like a future power hitting utility infielder that maybe could yeah. be an everyday second base option. But again, he's striking out a lot at high A and he's twenty three, so. You know, Simon Whiteman, super speed, no power. You know, what is he an everyday player? Probably not more of a Kelby Tomlinson type model of player. So, you know, I I think when it comes to the big league roster, the Giants are going to, you know, have to continue. I I think they're going to have to be aggressive in free agency. And to be fair, you know, everyone loves giving Zaidi a lot of credit. And and I'll be the first to say he's made a lot of great moves, but it's time to spend some money, right? Like they're good now. You know, the whole idea of we need a rebuild. No, he's proven he didn't need a rebuild. 
But that means if it's re-signing Chris Bryant, if that's signing Marcus Simeon, if that's signing Marcus Stroman, you know, or, or whatever big names, the Giants have that payroll flexibility. And again, I think they have a real um, huge opportunity to really kind of put their foot on the neck of the rest of the NL West because the Dodgers and Padres have good systems, but they've traded a lot of their depth over the past couple of years, right? That's true. They, and you know, the Padres, I think, have spent to the level they're going to spend. The Dodgers have spent close to, again, the Dodgers have plenty of, you know, and I want to emphasize these ownership groups could spend more, but, you know, it seems like those groups aren't going to be spending much more than they have. The Giants aren't spending close to the, what they're capable of spending and are on par with those teams, obviously in a better position than the Padres right now. Yeah. And they have the strongest system for two years, three years, four years down the line, both for trades and in free agency. And that to me is the reason they should be handing out four year, hundred million deals, like hundred million dollar deals, like hotcakes. If there's good players to have for that, because if Marco Luciano is ready in three years, well, then you can sign a great player to have for the next three years. And when Luciano's ready, that player only has a year left on their deal. Like you don't like the giants timeline is set up where you aren't going to have to face the conundrum of, well, Chris Bryant's still on the books, but I got Marco Luciano to get an extension. Luciano's seven years away minimum from being free agent eligible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all these top prospects are eons away from free agency. Obviously the collective bargain agreement could change that. Frankly, for the player's sake, hopefully changes that. But for the Giants perspective, that to me should be every justification to spend big this offseason. They are. The Giants are in a great position for now and uh, for years to come, especially when they have so much financial flexibility after this season yep. to where you're, you know, you're talking about bringing in guys and, you know, even overpaying if they need to yeah. just to make sure they get there. Absolutely. So they're in a great position. Flexibility um, is only useful if they use it, right? Like that's, you know, 100%. And, um, you're right. I'm to use it. Yep, you're absolutely right. Um, you brought up Sean Jelly a little bit ago. Uh, how far away do you think he is? He's your number 20 prospect in your uh, most recent uh, updated rankings. How far is he away from making it to the big leagues? Uh, with all the veteran pitchers the Giants have taken flyers on, it seems like he's got a ways to go despite being in Sacramento. Yeah, you know, I mean, Jelly's one who's going to have to be added to the 40-man roster this offseason just to rule five draft eligibility. Him and Elliot Ramos, by the way, um, are the two yeah. obvious names. And there's a lot of others, whether it's Rincones and others. And, you know, that's another conversation. But um, so because of that, I was kind of in the back of my mind, like it wouldn't shock me if Jelly gets a late season call up, Ramos even. Um, again, I don't think they're going to need them. That take some injuries. Although Jelly, you know, given their need for innings, it wouldn't shock me just because they're going to have to add him in, you know, as after the season anyway. But, you know, yeah, I mean, he's been good at double A. He's been he's been pretty consistently good throughout his minor league career and never great. And that was kind of the scouting report when they took him in the second round out of Kentucky, I want to say. Um, you know, I've always been kind of in this in this in-between space where, you know, his prospect report, while he's a different pitcher, you know, it's Andrew Suarez, it's Ty Block, it's, you know, insert, you know, good command or good feel for three solid pitches should be a back end starter. If not, um, you know, even if there, there isn't a great strikeout stuff, but he's seven feet tall. And that just is this variability where it's like, does he add weight and pick up a couple miles per hour of velocity? Does that 
approach angle, create some weird thing that makes this helps the stuff play up. And I've always been waiting to see it because I've been ready to buy into that, that his stuff plays up because he's, you know, just such a unique pitcher. Yeah. And it, it's just so far we haven't seen that. And so, you know, there's a world where Andrew Suarez or a tie blocker equivalent players are good back end, you know, rotation starters. You know, Derek Rodriguez, kind of a, another player who fell into this mix for the Giants at times. And again, I want, you know, none of those guys have stuck, but there's other examples of pitchers you could point to with similar um, type of profiles who ended up, you know, had long careers and productive careers and stuck in rotations as a four or five starter. But yeah, I mean, you know, he got up to call the triple A. He's been eating innings there, but also getting hit pretty hard, you know, not to the degree that Matt Frisbee was earlier, but in a similar kind of um, area. I'm starting to buy into Jelly following like a Yusmyro Petit trajectory where he ends up in like long a relief, long yeah. reliever role, but he's like really good in that and ends up basically being like a high leverage pseudo half long relief, half seventh eighth inning player that's valuable. I just think hmm. him and Petit are sim- him and Petit have a lot of similarities in that none of their pitches stand out. Um, you know, Petit, I think. It has 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 better command than Jelly does. Although I think Jelly's curveball has the potential to be better than any of Petit's pitches. But I think, like if you if I if I were to bet if I were betting on this, I'd bet on Jelly following more of that trajectory than a starter. But again, okay. like the the margins between a you know a good fourth or fifth a solid fourth or fifth starter and a Petit and a Derek Rodriguez who has one year and is out of the bigs is so paper thin. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That you know, Jelly could make an adjustment. Right. He could find three miles per hour this offseason he could find a new breaking ball or something and that changes the whole dynamic next season that's a great point so he's kind of like a fringe guy that could go either direction and yeah and we'll and see think, so and obviously different pitcher but you know sammy long is in that realm like i you know i think yeah if i were the giants i'd be ready to walk into next year with you know you sign some aaron sanchez equivalents drew pomerantz um some minor league free agent starters and you have sammy long sean jelly and those players compete for the fifth spot you know, I wouldn't feel terrible about that, um, even though, you know, and that's with me being higher on long, but also, you know, again, it's not out of the question that Jelly pushes it. They, again, they should bring in someone, you know, on a big league contract or someone you can, a veteran that they could trust if those players don't pan out. But, you know, I don't think it's out of the question that either one of those names ends up actually winning a job in April or May of next year, even if it's not necessarily the expectation. Here's a really difficult question. Will we see Joey Bart this month? <laughs> maybe it was difficult i mean yeah i i mean i i it, it's yes right like i i just i i don't see yeah i just it's catching you know i i see someone getting hurt you know just all it takes is you know a couple of days off and here and there um i i think the bigger question is like do we see him like with an actual extended look beyond like getting called up for a couple of days and that's going to come down to you know yeah if pose your casali have to miss some time um the Joey Bart question's an interesting one, right? I mean, you know, I graded him a bit down. Uh, he's a 45-plus grade player for me, which is a fringe starter, great backup uh, projection on him now. He's been a 45-50 grade as the league average starter. I'd put him in that 45-plus range. He's still the fifth-best prospect in the system, but now behind Kyle Harrison and Elliot Ramos, just ahead of Jairo Pomares and their most recent first-round pick, Will Bednar. And... You know, honestly, it was kind of a case of I expected more from Bart this year. And he's been and, you know, it's one of those things I was wondering, like, are my expectations too high for this guy? And it's like, you know, he's been good at AAA. He's been above average at AAA. But given his age, 
you know, given his prospect status, you know, a lot of other people, he's a consensus top 50, top 30 prospect in baseball. I, I, I expected him to force his way to the big leagues. You know, I expected in June, July, us to be talking about, do the Giants designate Casale for assignment and call up Bart because he's hitting so well. And that just never came together. And so, you know, I, I think, I think Bart's going to be really interesting to see how they handle him. You know, is, does he become the centerpiece of the trade or does he sort of fill the Kurt Casale role next season? Yeah. And Bart's it's still at this point, like he's, you know, he's going to be 25 in a couple months. Exactly. And, um, you know, he's kind of like in that we've accepted, Hey, he's going to strike out a lot, but he's going to mm-hmm. hit for power. But he also like, he, he doesn't have a great walk rate which I know the Giants, like, you know, they embrace in this organization now. And so I, I wonder and if like, I, I want to add just... the walk rate. Yeah, just to, to, to interject there, the thing with the walk rates is part of it with the high walk rates is obviously on base percentage makes up for slumps and whatnot. Yeah. But also someone working a high walk rate along strike along a high strikeout rate, it is easier to understand the strikeout rate, right? Because if you're working three ball counts, you're probably going to, by nature, have more two strike counts, which means you're going to strike out more, right? Like yeah. the fear with someone who doesn't walk and strikes out a lot, part of that is that means you're not necessarily consistently working counts that deep, but you're still striking out, right? And so you're getting the three strikes before you're even getting the three balls. And that's where I think, you know, I, I put part of why that, that becomes a red flag. It's not just a, a productivity thing. It's if you're not able to either put the ball in play consistently enough to avoid strikeouts or have strikeouts, but record walks against minor league pitching against major league pitching. Is that going to get even more extreme? Like it was for Bart in 2020. Makes sense. Um, With the injuries piling up for him, where do you see Hunter Bishop falling in the giants future plans? He's your number 15 guy. I really just, if there's a question mark, right? I mean, mean, it's because, (laughs) I mean, again, I write like he could hit 40 homers in the season in the big leagues one day and he yeah. could never reach double A. I mean, that's just, you know, injuries are tough and, and um, it's a shoulder and it's, it seems not connected with throwing. It seems more connected with his swing, like sort of like an issue Tatis has been dealing with this season. Now, granted, Tatis has played and it seems to, you know, he's been somebody else's, but he's still been productive, which is, I think, a positive sign for someone like, Bishop that, okay, maybe he won't be able to play 150, 130 games, but that means he should be able to be productive, but, you know, and he was someone who needed at bats, right? Like uh, I, I, you know, I put him in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of my top 30, uh, you know, but he, it's, it's really tough. And you, and you really feel for him too, right? Being someone who I think a lot of pressure's on, obviously being a first round pick, but also someone, right, who's from, you know, local high school, like from the Bay Area, gets drafted by the team. Like there was just so much, um, I think, um, there's, there's a lot of pressure there and injuries are something out of his control. And so, you know, I, I hope for his sake that he can have, you know, a clean bill of health this offseason, come into spring training and, you know, start next year at high A, hit his way to double A quickly. And these questions are out the window. He's back as a top prospect in the system. Um, but, you know, it, there's a lot of players who've played this year and been productive and you don't want to discount yeah. those players either. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's tough for Bishop, um, but you know, you, you, I never give up on a prospect, you know, but, but also that, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of caveats that obviously come with his season. 
For sure. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta be a little more patient with him because I'm looking at his numbers right now. He has like right around 200 plate appearances, which is nothing. Uh, so no. yeah, he he needs more time. Most of to... which are at Arizona in rookie ball. True, true. So so yeah. it's it's yeah. Gonna need to see some more from him. Um, I've been I've been kind of high on this guy. Obviously, not as like in details as much as you are, but I've been following his numbers, kind of following his progress throughout the year. Uh, what are your thoughts on Kareem Castro, who made his Giants debut Tuesday? Is he a real bullpen option, possibly come this October? I really like Kareem. I mean, he's you know. Because the giant system is so deep, it was really hard for relievers to like push their way onto the top 31 rankings that I did. Um, and I'm not alone in this. You look at MLB Pipeline, you look at, again, Roger Munter or uh, Renzi, the, the relievers, even the really top ones get pushed out. I don't think Camilo Duvall's in one of our top 31, even though the stuff and potential is obviously there. Yeah. Castro is my highest ranked reliever, and he's 22. He's, you know, RJ Dobovich is the only other one, and he's at 30. Um, And part of it is, I mean, you know, Castro's someone who, you know, like Gregory Santos, who's obviously had a down year and is now currently suspended after a PED positive test. But, you know, both Santos and Castro's were guys I was ready to put in the top 15, top 10 prospects heading into the year because of how well they performed at Instructs last fall. You heard from a lot of people. They, They saw a huge jump in velo. Their breaking balls looked more refined. And they were starters. Um, and when the Giants pushed them to the bullpen, that just killed their stock because obviously the upside on the starter is just so much higher. Sure. Um, yeah. But the way they pitched Castro this season, he's thrown three innings, multiple innings, more often than not. He's been yep. pitching on the street. I mean, I, I don't think the Giants are going to do this, but I really hope, and if I were in that front office, I was in that player development staff, I'd be really uh, volley, uh, advocating for Castro to come into next season and you try to give him one more shot in the rotation. Hmm. Um, you know, he's just been so good in the hitters league at AAA as one of the youngest pitchers in the league. I mean, this is a 22 year old. Um, you know, this guy's younger than Hunter Bishop. This player's, you know, I think this is a bit older than Patrick Bailey. And they're, you know, and, and again, he might be too good, right? They might say, no, he's a bullpen piece. We can't take that risk. But, you know, he's always had decent command. He has the mid-90s fastball that's played up to the high 90s in the bullpen. It's probably a low 90s fastball as a starter. You know, he might not have that third pitch, but he's just been so good. I, I'd love to see them give it a shot. I, I think he's someone who, you know, if he's not, he could fall anywhere from middle reliever, high leverage arm to multi-inning arm. Um, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't have an extended big league career. I think this is a, a, a big league contributor in some fashion. Yeah, two years ago uh, in low A, he had 14 starts and 67 and two thirds. He had a good year, two six six ERA. Absolutely, um, he, uh, didn't walk that many guys and had a not overwhelming uh, K per nine rate at eight point one one, but very respectable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he has it in him. Uh, that's interesting. I never, I didn't even think about that because I always forget that uh, he was a starter. You know, he could be an option because he has thrown multiple innings. Um, is he, he's, thrown six, rec- he's thrown more than 50 pitches multiple times this season. Again, 50 yeah. and 80 pitches is a huge gap, but you know, that's something to note that the Giants are also saying he's someone we're comfortable stretching to 50, 60 pitches, 40, 50 pitches at triple A right now. 
For sure. And it was interesting, too, because I've noticed in between his outings for Sacramento. And yes, just a reminder, Tuesday in Colorado, he did throw two innings, albeit, you know, not in a high leverage situation, but it doesn't matter. Um, But in Sacramento, he's had like four or five days off in between outings, kind of getting treated like a starter a little bit. So I just had something to keep in the back of the mind. I haven't thought this through very much, but um, this just came to me. I see, I could see very easily the fifth starter in the Giants rotation next season being Kervin Castro and Sammy Long in a package deal where they're paired together, each throwing 50 to 70 pitches. Um, You know, you have a lefty and a righty. They're two very fairly different pitchers, um, but, you know, who are kind of in that middle where they've shown some pretty good velo out of the bullpen, but it's dropped. It's been much less when they've been starting that maybe they find that tweener space. Again, I, I, I believe in long as a starter, I could see Castro um, being just a one inning high leverage arm, but yeah. you know, just sort of thinking about different outcomes here and different roster construction molds. It would not shock me if you see something like that with those two guys. That is something definitely we'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, great points. Uh, here's one. Do, do you envision Elliot Ramos making the opening day roster next year? No, I don't think he makes the opening day roster. I think it's kind of going to be like a Bart situation this year where again, I expected Bart to be on the everyday on the big league roster every day by June or July. Cause I thought he was going to get sent down, tear it up and then they'd be forced to make a decision. Yeah. And that's kind of what I expect from Elliot. And again, Bart didn't do that. And that's why he's slightly graded down in my rankings. And I think if Elliot doesn't do that, it'll be, it's again, Elliot's so tough because he is so young, right? Elliot's younger than uh, college guys who were first round picks this summer. Just turned 22 so, on Tuesday. Yeah. So again, it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, like with Bart, again, like you mentioned, he's going to be 25. And so I'm more comfortable grading him down for a, a less exceptional performance. But, you know, I, yeah, I think Ramos starts next year at AAA. I think partly just the Giants will be walking into next year with a strong outfield group, even if they trade Alex Dickerson or trade Austin Slater, even if there are moves that are made, I, I just still think there's going to be enough proven um, bats that they don't feel that pressure. They start him at AAA. And I think we could see a 2019 season for him where, you know, like he started at San Jose that year at high A, tore it up, got called up to double A. And I think, I think we could see, he's been kind of in every year where he's been solid a year, breakout, solid a year. I think we could be seeing a next year in the hitters environment at AAA repeating that level he could he could really tear it up and force the giant's hand all right uh final question and and i've enjoyed talking prospects with you i always do but you know uh the big league club's doing a damn good job this season too <laughs> they're currently you know 90 and 50 they're 40 games over on like all September of us expected yeah, one, absolutely not, not if, one person was skeptical i thought they'd have 95 wins by now no i'm kidding uh it's it's been crazy and you know what it's still it's just like, I'm just really, let's just enjoy it because what yep. they're doing right now is, is fantastic. Um, so I kind of want to get your thoughts on the big club. You know, like, wh- how do you think the rest of the season plays out for San Francisco? You know, and I don't think like there's not an outcome that would necessarily surprise me. And again, part of it, I think it's just being rooted in prospect stuff. You get really comfortable, like having no idea what's going to happen and accepting that, you know, it's, it's impossible to predict, but you know, I still think if it like, I think the giants are set up to kind of be that very good regular season team early postseason out. I, you know, just the nature of the rotation depth and 
you know, Webb and Gaussman have been really good and, you know, they could lock it up in October, November, but, you know, I think, you know, in, in playoff situations, you know, I, I think the Giants rotation, you look around the other contenders, it's not like they have a rotation that uh, stacks up well against, you know, some of the bigger competition mm-hmm. and, you know, the Giants have a deep lineup, but the, you know, like they have a team with all these guys with 15, 20 homers, but they don't have anyone with 30. Um, like they don't have a murderer's row and that could work to their advantage, but that could work to their detriment, right? Like it, it could go both ways. I mean, I have sort of, and this is comes up being a Giants fan following 2010, 2012, 2014. The way I pick the World Series every year, for the most part, barring exceptions, is I just look at who has the best pitching staff. And I think that team is going to win the World Series. And that's why my pick this year is probably going to be the Brewers. Um, yeah. Just because of their starting pitching and their bullpen. You know, yeah, Christian Yelich ain't hitting. Yeah, that lineup ain't as deep as Dodgers and, and Giants. But, you know, the... the Look at the Giants in 2010, you know, that that lineup did not stack up with the Phillies or, you know, a whole host of other things. You know, I think, um, you know, the Royals, when, when they've won, it's been strong. You know, I mean, like, I think you look at the teams, the, the Nationals, when they win the World Series, right? The teams that tend to, I think, overperform in the postseason do tend to be pitching heavy. Um, and, and I think that's where I lean with the Brewers. And again, what's weird about the Giants is it's not that they haven't had pitching this year. They've had really good pitching this year but yeah when it comes down to it i'm picking corbin burns brandon woodruff and walker bueller and max scherzer Scherzer. over kevin Mm -hmm. gaussman and logan webb um as good as gaussman and webb um have been again i'm gonna be i think the big proponent this offseason i'm on the giants need to bring gaussman back and even if they do go get a marcus stroman and i think you walk into next year with gaussman webb stroman as your top three you know i think then you're, you're you're really talking about something there um but, you know, I think Wood is probably, if not done for the season, I don't think you can count on him being a starter. You know, it seems like, um, you know, it's a pretty severe case of COVID, you know, just knowing how this tends to work in terms of working back into game shape and throwing shape. I think at best case scenario, he's a relief arm, multi-inning bullpen arm in the playoffs in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Di Scalfani is a good starter. He could win you some games in the playoffs, but you know he's not going to be favored against the Brewers or the Dodgers. So, and he's um, a wild card right now. Yeah. he could go three innings, look really good, and then implode into fourth. I mean, you yeah. don't know what to get from him right now. So, yes. Yeah. So, so you know, again, and the uh, you know, obviously the Giants are trying to win the World Series. It would not shock me if they did. Right, like that's playoff baseball is random for you know that very the very reason of it's a 162 game season that now we turn in these five and seven game series. And that's why um, it's awesome. Yeah. Right. And exactly. And Lamont Wade could hit 15 homers and, you know, build the statue. Um, <laughs> and, and I, and I'd be here for it and I'd love it. Um, but I think more likely the giants are actually going to head into 2022 in a very interesting and somewhat really the first precarious spot under Zaidi. And it's because for the first time, there's going to be expectation. And there isn't an obvious, again, unless they make some significant trades, um, unless they spend this offseason, which again, I think they should. But if they follow kind of the trend of, of how they do it, they basically bring the same band back together. You know, as good as Buster Posey and Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford have been this season, 2019, none of those players were 
even above average or very far above average at bat. And all, you know, all those players could regress to that form. You know, uh, Mike Yastrzemski has been solid, not great this season. And the Giants could very, you know, it could be back to the Padres and Dodgers that we expect in 2021 comes in 2022. And then the Giants are in this sort of, you know, about 500. And and now it's like, okay, where, when's Lucy Mano Matos getting there? So it's going to be really interesting because they have this system depth. As I mentioned, they have a lot of guys who they're not going to be able to protect from the rule five draft that I think other teams will be interested in. So do they make some trades with that? Or does that depth in the outfield lead them to say, we're going to, you know, we're willing to move a Austin Slater and a Mauricio Dubone in some minor deal. Like I, I think there's going to be in, in a plethora of opportunities for Zaidi to take. And, you know, however, however it shakes out walking into 2022 is going to be really, really interesting just because even if the Giants get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs right now, granted, assuming they make the playoffs, the, the playoffs are the expectation and probably actually the division might be, you know, the, the expectation. And that's the first time they've had those expectations. And this is a roster coming into the year. We were all looking at each other going maybe third place. So <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, and, you know, I think sometimes narratives get a year ahead, you know, where, we head into a season like the Browns in football are kind of perfect example, right? It was in, in 2019, it's the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl, then they're mediocre, and then everyone's low on the Browns. And last year they come out and they're a playoff team. Like sometimes yeah. I think the, the media narratives, it, it takes a year. And so that could mean the Padres come into next year and they are firing all cylinders and they are on par with the Dodgers. And that could mean the, the Giants lack of star power. And maybe, you know, they're, they're hit. Uh, you know, the Giants have been hit by injuries this year, but they haven't been hit by injuries to Posey or to Gaussman or to, you know, like, like the particular guys at the top who they've relied on the most, they haven't missed for an extended period of time. That's true. And, you know, you you know, you get one or two of those mixed in a couple regressions um, and, you know, they, they could fall back. And again, I don't know what, that's not my expectation, but it's, it's going to be really exciting just because Zaidi's earned a lot of trust and respect from a lot of fans, rightfully, with what this team has been. And now I'm just really excited to see, okay, you've proven you can basically build a contender, help aging veterans rebound. Now let's see you push this to the next level. Can you then turn this into something else um, going forward? Mark DeLuke from around the Foghorn. Uh, again, give him a follow at Mad DeLuke on Twitter. Thanks so much for coming on again. It's a blast always talking prospects with you. Make sure that you catch uh, the rest of his updated prospect rankings. I'll put it the link of it in the uh, show description below. Click on it and, uh, you know, read up on that stuff. So, Mark, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Any anytime, whether it's Giants, prospects, whatever it is, I'm always I'm always game to hop on. All right. Thank you. Have a good night and go Giants. When the Giants come to Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.